make it better on the health hour of in um i don't know why i stumble on this now now that we have individual hours i can never get out informed life radio there we go i keep wanting to say informed choice washington this hour is brought to you by the washington chapter of children's health defense um we're so excited to you know be part of this whole amazing family that includes informed choice washington children's health defense stand for health freedom. I mean, I tell you, the number of people that are truly out there making a difference, rolling up their sleeves, it's really very exciting to me. So um, let me get a, a, some business uh, out of the way. So the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KKNW or um, CHD. Um, and we're not giving medical advice, we're not giving legal advice, we're just here bringing you good conversation um, so that you can make informed decisions in your, in your life. And, you know, there is a lot of noise out there. There truly is. And there's some things going on that we're going to be talking about in both hours today, both our, our health and our liberty hour that are really interconnected. So uh, let me start by bringing on Bob Runnels, my co-host for today to talk about this. Hello, Bob. Oh, where did Bob go? I've lost, let me add him. There we go. Hey, Bob, I, I, um, he seems to have frozen. So let's see if we can get you back. You might have to sign out and sign back in if you're hearing us, Bob. Sometimes that happens. We get those technical glitches. Um, but let me begin then by saying, you know, I'm really excited about these um, these next two hours. And they were inspired by a rabbit hole I didn't know existed um, a couple of days ago. Um, I'm going to I see Bob is with us now. Hey, Bob. <laughs> I blipped back in. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Small technical issue just as I was getting rolling. Thank you. Yeah, no, that happens a lot. I'm so glad you could join us. I was just about to tell viewers here um, how these next two hours of radio came to be. So, you know, I'm I'm doing some re research looking at how are we going to address um, physical and mental health issues, especially of our children today. You know, there's a lot of environmental drivers causing um, health issues in our children. And that's really a big focus of children's health defense, which is so exciting why we have this health hour. And I was exploring, you know, kind of figuring out like a whole program we could do. Um, the idea of food as medicine, right? This is not a new idea. It's a great idea. And so I had no idea when I put into my search engine, food is medicine, what I was going to discover. Um, and I discovered that food is medicine is not only truth, is <laughs> not only a wonderful concept, but it's something that uh, the powers that shouldn't be, uh, government entities, global industrialists, all the power players have decided that they like that term too, but perhaps for their own interest. Um, and I'm excited in the Liberty Hour, we're going to really be talking about that. But first, we are going to be talking about 
the truth of food as medicine. And for that, I could think of nobody better than Dr. David Brownstein, who we are bringing on uh, the show here. I see there is Dr. David Brownstein with us today. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Have you had the pleasure of meeting uh, my co-host here, Bob Runnels? I think we've been on before. Uh, possibly. Yeah. Good, you to might have, Good to see yeah. you. Um, so thank you for kind of a last minute invitation to join us this week on this show. We're so glad you could uh, could join us. Um, I'd kind of like to start out um, by having listeners understand your journey because you went to traditional med school and you began, began your life as a doctor, you know, on a certain path. And then if I'm remembering correctly, it was your father who had some health issues that sort of turned you in a different direction. Can you talk about that? So um, I had wanted to be a physician since I was little. And, um, you know, that was my sole goal in, in life and going to University of Michigan in undergrad and, um, and um, got into med school. And I, we, we came from a conventional household. We didn't do anything alternative. I never took a vitamin in my life. Really <laughs> thought about the food I was eating. Um, didn't really, the only thing I wanted to do was be a family doctor, model after my family doctor. I grew up with a severe case of asthma and went to my family doctor a lot. And just, you know, I liked the whole, I thought I was, I was, mesmerized by medicine and just thought it was an interesting thing. And I like science and thought med school would be, you know, could fit for me and medicine would be a good career. So I um, wanted to be a family doctor. I got into a family practice residency after med school and um, began practicing conventional medicine and everything was fine for the first six months. And then right around that six month time period, I started to lose sleep and um, got anxious wasn't quite sure why. And after three nights of not sleeping well, I, we're getting up to get ready for going to work. And I tell my wife, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Now, we, we met, we were 18 at the University of Michigan, which, by the way, is in the playoffs in three weeks. <laughs> oh, really? I hadn't heard. <laughs> um, yes, you've heard. I'm sure you've heard, Bob. Everyone's heard. Um, and um, um, so, you know, she knew me my whole life that I wanted to be a doctor. We had $100,000 in student loans. You know, I blurred out that for the first time. I never said anything to her that I wasn't happy. Um, and she said, you know, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but I can't do this for the next 30 years. And she said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I have no idea, but I'm not helping anybody. And I'm just prescribing drugs and more drugs to treat the side effects than the first drugs. And... Um, I just said, I feel like a drug pusher. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, why don't you do another residency? And I'm like, I'm not doing that. That was enough. And I said, it's all the same in medicine. And so around that time, you know, I was being bugged by a patient of mine to see a um, chiropractor. And at that point in my medical career, I never referred to a chiropractor, never went to a chiropractor, never knew a chiropractor, didn't know anything about them. But, you know, I was told in my medical school and residency training chiropractors are dangerous, you know, don't let patients see them and, you know, don't support them. So he, my, my uh, patient who happened, his wife and my wife worked together. And so we were, we've done something socially. He said the chiropractor really helped him more than just adjusting. He was 
giving him some nutrition and he just thought, you know, we would get along. So I went to meet the chiropractor and that lack of sleep. And he saw me that third day when I told my wife, I didn't want to be a doctor and get ready to go to work. So in my anxiety and lack of sleep and I, he saw him that morning and I, he said it again and I said, all right, give me his name. So I called him at the end of the workday and we set up a dinner meeting for the following Tuesday. Tuesday rolls around and I tell Allison, I'm going to cancel. And I came home from work, said, I'm going to cancel. I'm tired. I don't want to go. And she said, that would be rude. You need to go. She told me to be nice as I was walking out the door. <laughs> I, well, what's the chiropractor going to do for me? Or, you know, I don't want to yeah. meet him. Anyways, so I meet him. His name is Dr. Robert Radke. He was super smart. He, he knew more biochemistry and more functional physiology and functional biochemistry than I ever did. And he was telling me about the chiropractic philosophy and how he was using nutrition to treat his patients. And either he's lying to me or there were other things out there I wasn't taught. And there was a, it was, and we, he was a nice guy and we hit off a great friendship that he was, you know, we were best friends for you know a long time after that until he, he passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came home that night and he gave me a book healing with nutrition. And I opened the book to the, it was healing with nutrition was written by Jonathan Wright, an allopathic physician. And he, um, I opened the book that night. I got home around 10 o'clock. I opened the book to heart disease. And I read what Dr. Wright said about heart disease. I remember what Dr. Radke said about heart disease that night. And, you know, my dad was very sick at that time. He looked like he was going to die at any moment. He had um, his first heart attack at age 40, his second heart attack, 42. And over the next 20 years, he had angioplasties and stents and bypass surgeries and was on 12 medications for diabetes, hypertension, heart disease. And he looked awful. He had mm-hmm. continued with China for 20 years, popping nitros like they were candies. And we were all waiting for the call that he had died, you know. And um, so I called my dad the next morning. After I stayed up late reading that book till about 2 in the morning. And I said, hey, Dad, I want to draw a couple blood tests on you. Can you step in on your way to work? So he stops in. I drew the blood work. I get the blood work back a few days later. And based on that blood work, I put him on two natural things, natural thyroid hormone and natural testosterone. Within seven days, his 20-year history of angina melted away and never returned. His Within a week, I'm sorry, within a week, his angina melted away. His 20-year history of angina melted away, never returned. Within that week, he went from pink and pasty looking to, to I'm sorry, he went from pale and pasty looking to a pink face and healthier looking face. He wasn't short of breath anymore. He was starting to do more things. 30 days later, I check his blood again. His cholesterol stuck in the 300s on medication, fell below 200 without changing any of his bad habits, which he had a few. And he just looked like a different person and people were commenting on it. And once I saw the changes in my dad, I said, that's what I want to do in medicine. Um, And I knew my path. And so I went to the partners of the practice who I was negotiating a buy-in for a partnership. And I told my lawyer, I'm leaving, you know, I'm done with, I don't need that anymore. And so I told them I'm leaving. And I, they said, what are you going to do or why? And I said, cause I want to do holistic medicine. And they said, what's that? And I said, I don't really know, <laughs> um, but I'm going to figure it out. And um, they said, why don't you do it here? And I said, no, I need an office where the file clerks, the people answering the phones, um, everybody working there should be on the same page. And um, so I left 
and just did a 180 in medicine at that point. And I started going to meetings, reading, reading articles, books, and, you know, educating myself on functional biochemistry, functional physiology, food, um, you know, and everything that goes with holistic medicine. And here I am 30 years later and got a, you know, an office where the file clerks, the people answering the phones, the, everybody, the nurses, we're all on the same page. And um, I'm still trying to figure out what holistic medicine is, but I got a better idea now. <laughs> um, you know, wrote a few books on the way. And, yes. You know, and it's been a great, great journey. Good way to practice medicine. Yeah, so um, exciting here. I, Bob, why don't you tell uh, Dr. Bernstein a little bit about your background? Well, I'm certainly not credentialed, and, and thank you for being on the show, Dr. Brownstein. It's just an honor to spend some time with you. Um, I, I grew up in a chiropractic family, and, and to be honest, we we looked across the classrooms at everybody with asthma and said, "Sorry, you know, we weren't dealing with that." Um, we we did have uh, quite a bit more natural health when we were growing up, and, and I don't want to be a health snob, but. Um, we, we've fared very well, and we haven't had to go the allopathic route too often. Emergency medicine, good. Really appreciate doctors. But in terms of preventative and uh, nutrition, we look to doctors like you. So thank you. Well, you know, um, I changed my mind about chiropractors. And um, Dr. Radkin and I referred a lot of patients back and forth to each other. You know, it's interesting. I went, you know, I've written 16 books and um, actually my 17th book. And, um, you know, I've lectured a lot in and out of the country and, and the doctors that will listen to me are chiropractors. My colleagues won't listen mostly. And, um, you know, they've been my biggest supporters and I, you know, I've been their biggest supporters after I finally met one and learned what they do. And then, um, you know, um, yeah. got involved in the, in the holistic side of medicine, which is, you know, been a nice ride. Yeah, and you've done such a great job with it. And it's so user-friendly, layman, everyday life friendly. So we have radio listeners as well as people able to see the visuals. And right now we're kind of showing the titles of the books you've written. Um, so Overcoming Arthritis is one. The Guide to Healthy Eating is one. The Guide to Gluten-Free Diet. The Guide to a Dairy-Free Diet. The Skinny on Fats. Um, I think it'll get around to you. You've got like a book on iodine and I'm huge on iodine now. I mean, holy moly, B12 for health. You break it down. You break these subjects down into easy to read guides. Um, so I really encourage people to check out what you have written because it really makes all the subject matter so much more accessible. Your website is the is center for holistic medicine.com center for holistic medicine.com. Actually an easier, an easier website to navigate is drbrownstein.com. Drbrownstein.com. Oh, okay. I can pull that up. That's mm -hmm. why. I wasn't seeing much information. Yeah, um, we're, we're, we're working on that website. Don't go on that website. Go on drbrownstein.com so we okay. get our other one fixed. All righty. Thank you so much for that. And I will, I will share that here in just a second so everybody um, can see. So, um, you know, really it's amazing to me that food as medicine is medicine is not already thoroughly integrated um, 
it, to me, it's almost criminal that you would go to a doctor with a health issue that is primarily food driven, lifestyle driven, and they don't first thing off their lips say, what the heck you eating? <laughs> you know, well, we weren't trained in that. We, no. uh, we were, we were, I mean, you know, in med school, I, I told you I wasn't a holistic, no bending for it. I, I didn't believe any of it. I never took a vitamin. So I learned yeah. about it. Yeah. But, um, for whatever reason, in my second year of med school, we had a three hour, the, the only thing on nutrition we had was a three hour set on vitamins. And I remember when it came, um, I was one of those study at home guys in med school. I, I worked hard, but I learned more from reading my whole life than I have from sitting and watching someone lecture. So mm -hmm. for a lot of med school, I studied at home. I didn't go to too many lectures and I put in my time and, and, but I went to that three hour lecture, the three hour nutrition lecture. For some reason, I must have, you know, I just thought maybe, I, I don't know why I went to that back then. But what we learned, the only thing we learned about nutrition was about old diseases that we were told were all cured from modern, modern medicine and modern changes in our food supply, such as vitamin C, vitamin C deficiency causes scurvy mm -hmm. or, or uh, B12 deficiency causes pernicious anemia. Mm -hmm. uh, thiamine, vitamin B1 deficiency causes beriberi or congestive heart failure. So with the fortification of food and with food more plentiful in our environment, we were, we were taught these were diseases of the past. They, they don't exist now, but here's the names of them. And then it was three hours and when they were done and that was it. The rest of it was on pathology, drugs, you know, a lot of, you know, mostly on drugs, but mm -hmm. you know, other things. And the, the other interesting thing with med school is that we were taught biochemistry. We had to, to get into med school, you had to take biochemistry in undergraduate. And to go to med school, when you get into med school, you re, you basically repeat the class in undergrad, maybe a little more focused on medicine, but not much. And it's not a functional biochemistry class. So you don't really know how after, you know, I did well. I liked biochemistry. I liked chemistry. I did very well in chemistry and I did well in those biochemistry classes. But I had no clue how to apply that to my patients when I got to learning about patients and treating patients. What I could do was diagnose pathology and prescribe the drug or the drugs to treat that pathology. That's what I was trained to do. I was mm -hmm. not trained on nutrition. I was not trained on biochem functional biochemistry. And I was not trained on the importance of diet, the importance of you know anything natural like that. So... You know, why would I bother taking a dietary history when I really didn't know what I was talking about and, you know, what to do with it anyway? So I just didn't do it. Of course, now mm -hmm. every new patient, I get a full dietary history and, you know, it's part of part of my initial workup for them. So what um, I'd like to kind of go through the, the fundamentals of of health to build health, maintain health, um, and then we'll move on to like treating health issues. So. Um, if somebody is is sort of new to really understanding that their health status depends on their food choices, what are some of the core foods that you think people should change? Um, like, for example, um, I'd love for you to talk about fats, good fats, well, bad fats. You know, look, if we if you want to break it down to I call it the basics that, you know, the basic things people can do to improve their health, optimize their health, or, you know, over, overcome some illness or just be healthier in general. You know, the number one thing is, you know, drink water. 
body 70% water, brain's 80% water. Stay hydrated at all times. Don't let yourself become dehydrated. During COVID, that was the number one thing that sent people to hospital. They were de they were dehydrated. Mm. And um, the, the hydration went along with the, uh, with the um, you know, breathing problems they were all having during COVID. But that dehydration, I believe, was was you know a big driver in sending people to hospital and it's, it's still today when they're sick you know so number two is the food you eat and mm -hmm. um you know we, we were designed to take nutrients from food to help us digest the food and to store these excess nutrients from the food so we can use them later while we're not eating to make energy molecules or to mm -hmm. chemical reactions to occur in the body. So we can make hormones or make, you know, other things and, or nerve impulses or whatever, you know, however you want to, however you want to cut it. And um, we were not designed to eat devitalized food, lacking basic nutrients that we have to use our own nutrients to help digest and which leaves us devitalized and deficient of nutrients. And so I think what's happened in our country over last 50 years or probably even a little bit more than that is our food supply nutrient levels gone down. Um, we are plentiful in food. We're just plentiful in junk food, junky food that's not healthy and not nutritious. And it's made us the sickest people on the Western planet, made us the fattest people on the Western planet. When it's, it's made us spend more money on our healthcare than any other Western country. And we don't live as long as everybody else in the Western world. And that's getting worse over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I talk to people about eating food and then, and I'm rambling here right now and I've kind of lost track of what your question was. <laughs> uh, kind of the, the, the basics of food as medicine, the, the building blocks as it were. So the, the basics is we need to eat healthy food that's full of vitamins and minerals and enzymes and nutritious products that supply our body with those things so we can function optimally. I mean, we, we're, we're a pretty good design. The blueprint for the human body is pretty cool if you just give it the right nutrients it needs and it can usually survive to old age in pretty good health and mm -hmm. um you know during flu season if we didn't have an immune system that couldn't fight viruses and bacterial illnesses we'd all be dead by now so um you know if we if we support that immune system it can get over that stuff you know you're showing the picture of the books right now i write these books that write about what works in my practice and um, yeah. So you've got the whole, a holistic approach to viruses that I encourage people to get for the cold and flu season, get it now because, you know, that way you're empowered with knowledge. You don't have to fear viruses. You get Dr. Brownstein's book and he tells you, you know, what you need to know. You know, it's funny when COVID came around three years ago, I didn't think of closing our office, we, you know, mm -hmm. Some of my staff did. They they had a meeting with me the Thursday before the governor of Michigan announced she was closing the state down, you know, locking us down. Um, I think we were locked down for four or six months. I don't even remember now, but it was way too long. And I mean, one day was too long. I said, "What are we gonna What are we gonna close down for? We know how to treat viruses. We we've done it for thirty years. We're gonna do the same thing we did for close to thirty years. And mm -hmm. I think it'll work for this new strain of coronavirus. And if it doesn't, we we're we're nimble enough to figure it out. And mm -hmm. Lo and behold, what we did for the last close to 30 years worked just fine for coronavirus. And um, one of the first things I told people to do, and since you asked about food as medicine, um, when, when corona hit my area, Michigan was one of the first states overflowing with coronaviruses in the ERs and, you know, hospitals and stuff. 
we were it was Michigan, New York, Massachusetts, and New Jersey that were really the first hard hit states. And um, when people started calling me, they were sick. The first thing I told them to do was drink water and stay hydrated, water and salt, and they need to cut sugar out of their diet. And I said, sugar, I would always tell them the same thing. There's a study from close to 50 years ago of sugar um, paralyzing white blood cell movement for about five hours after you have refined sugar. And how do you expect the immune system to fight back or to overcome or to recover from an insult like a viral illness? If you're paralyzing it, you know, with juice or with too much sugar or soda or mm -hmm. whatever coming in. So the first thing I would, and I, the, 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 my patients know if they're listening to this, one of the, the first thing I tell them is maintain hydration. Next thing I tell them is cut sugar out of your diet. Um, anything with refined sugar should be cut out of the diet. It's not, it doesn't do anything. It supplies no nutrients for our bodies. It causes our body to use its own nutrients to get rid of that. And it leads to a host of, messy problems like the way blood cells not moving around and poor immune system function as well as diabetes and hypertension and you know a whole bunch of other things. So I guess if there's one thing and you're going to pin me to one thing, I would say refined sugar should be cut out of the diet or at least minimized in the diet. And it can be done. People say, oh, that can't be done. It's in everything. It is not in everything. It's not in natural foods. Um, it's not in fruits and vegetables and animal products. Um, but it's added to a lot of packaged foods and you just have to start looking at labels and educating yourself. Mm -hmm. um, fats are huge. Um, I have concerns we're going to talk about a little bit in the next hour that um, like the uh, National Institutes of Health and the American Medical Association, um, they currently, their most current information about fats, they tell you to avoid all saturated fats um, and they promote seed oils, corn oil, canola oil, um, you know, sunflower oil, and not the organic ones. So what is your current understanding of fats, healthy fats and oils and what our bodies uh, need? Well, we need healthy fats in our diet. Um, there are healthier ways to get fat in your diet versus, you know, what I, I don't know if I was taught, but what the American Heart Association, the American Diabetic Association, and the other, what did you say at the beginning of this? I, I always say um, the powers that be, but you said the powers that shouldn't well, be. Or something. The powers that shouldn't be. I learned that from somebody else like that. recently. <laughs> I like that. So the other, the powers that shouldn't be are saying, you know, um, um, seed oils are healthier. The corn oil, the soybean oil, the, what are the other ones? Um, you know, yeah. they're in the clear. Can, what else do you cook? See, I don't use that stuff. What, what else is there, Bernadette? Um, <laughs> um, well, I don't use them either. Go ahead. Canola is the word. Canola, the canola. That's what I'm trying to think of. So, Not only highly sprayed, but the sea oils, highly inflammatory and all this other so, stuff, right? So these oils are all over the grocery store. If you go to the grocery store and, and look at the oil, I mean, there there's like three, four shelves of them, you know, floor to ceiling. And they're all in these clear containers. And you can tell... Number one, you can decide if an oil is a better product or not, if it's in a clear container or a dark container, so light can't get into it. If light can get into that oil, that means there's probably nothing in there. It's probably a dead oil, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, with no nothing in there to break down because it's already been hydrogenated and, and highly processed. That doesn't matter. So, and, you know, you heat these seed oils, these, these canola, corn, soybean, um, 
Sunflower. Sunflower, thank you. Mm -hmm. You heat these oils in these clear containers and these seed oils and you make it worse. They hydrogenate and they become more toxic substances. Um, so, you know, this this whole idea of the that we need to use these vegetable oils instead of coconut oil or palm oil um, came from the, I think it was 1970s when, you know, heart disease just skyrocketed in the U.S., late 60s and early 70s. And people began, you know, having heart attacks and, and strokes. And, the, and the, you know, the Surgeon General and the U.S. government got involved. And they let, they let the big agri companies sort of dictate, you know, what was going to be the recommendations. And they, they said that um, saturated fats were bad for you. You need to eat uh, vegetable oils. And so everybody switched and it just made things worse. And, um, you know, there was no reason, well, whatever. I mean, there, you know, th things are worse for many reasons in the U S and the food supply, but these, veg these, uh, these partially hydrogenated vegetable oils are, should be avoided. They shouldn't be heated. Um, you know, it's you, you, you mess with the structure of the oil in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, olive oil is another one. You can't really heat olive oil very high because that turns into a hydrogenated product as well. You can heat coconut oil high and you can eat palm oil high mm -hmm. for, for, you know, when you have to use high heat to cook things and that holds together pretty well. Um, but, but, you know, American and, and lard. And, you know, so here where I am in East Tennessee, a lot of people are raising their own hogs and they're growing their own beef and to get the, the, from a grass finished animal, you get that healthy lard or tallow, or it's called something different depending on the animal, but it's loaded in vitamin D. It's loaded in the healthy saturated fats. This is what everybody used to cook with. They would make pie crust with it and they would fry with it, you know, and this is, but you know, like somewhere around World War II, they, they were like, put everybody on these uh, margarines and, and everything. So a lot of people here are going back to those natural um, fats. You don't want to buy no. necessarily the commercial products. You're, you're, um, you're right. I got my time frame wrong. The time frame was earlier for that switched from butter to margarine and to yeah. vegetable oils. And then heart disease and things like that skyrocketed in the 70s. Um, that are yeah. virtually related to that. My time frame was off a little bit. But you're right. It was margarine after World War II that was the was the big push. You know, Eisenhower had that heart attack when he was president that Hmm. Um, he, he was he was the president after World War II. He, he was the president up to, I think, JFK, if I'm getting my time frame right. And he had a heart attack at a relatively young age, and that's when they really started pushing this margarine and vegetable oil stuff. And then 10 years later, heart disease just skyrocketed in the U.S. And, and, um, it was and so did the, the heart disease industry. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so fat and not all, you know, not all butter is the same. If you're getting a, a, a grass fed, grass finished cow's milk turned into butter, that product is superior to just your, your regular butter on the shelf. So, you know, the, the quality of we getting back to the, the basics um, and then how that food comes to be the, the Weston Price Foundation is marvelous at educating people. Um, if anybody's cool. new to it, yeah, check out the Weston Price Foundation, and they've got a ton of information on educating you on you know 
Yeah, is bacon bad for you? Well, yeah, maybe if it's from one of the, the big brand companies and it's got sodium nitrates and nitrates, so the, the pig was not fed healthy food and then it's treated bad. But you know, if you're getting bacon maybe from your neighbor's hog that ate healthy, um, it's a whole different product, right? Getting back to um, the essentials way of eating. So no refined sugars or drastically reduce, choose the right healthy fats. And then what are your thoughts on, you know, there's this whole global move to tell people you shouldn't eat meat, that it's bad for you and bad for the planet. What are your thoughts? Weston Price is pro healthy raised, naturally raised meats. What are, what are your thoughts with your experience with your patients? I think you can have healthy animal products and unhealthy animal products, as you were describing. You can have healthy meats and unhealthy meats, depending on how what the animal was exposed to and how the, fi the, the final food source was processed. And unfortunately, most of the meat in this country, unless it's labeled organic, unless it's labeled grass-fed, is probably not healthy. The, you know, the way they're feeding them and the way they're treating them, the animals and the way they're processing the, the, the product. Um, so, um, you know, this push to get rid of meat it is not going to be beneficial, I don't think. And, um, you know, years ago, I was asked to lecture at this uh, this holistic spa in a different state. And it was it, it was winning all these awards as the best spa. And so it was a vegan spa. So they eat raw food. So I, I went down there to lecture. And, um, you know, I give my talk. I'm supposed to lecture for a whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday, I give my first talk. And first question comes to mind is, what can we eat? And, you know, I hadn't eaten anything there yet. And <laughs> they were starving. I mean, and they were eating a raw, raw vegan diet and they weren't used to it. And so, um, you know, I brought up exactly what you just talked about. And, you know, we talked about healthy food a little bit. And I said, I was going to talk about diet tomorrow. So at the end of that lecture, the, there were two workers who lived there who helped the, their clients through this. And these clients were paying like thousands of dollars, a lot of money back then and still a lot of money today to be at this spot. And um, the two workers there, they were a husband and wife team said, hey, can you look at our chemist, our lab work? We don't feel good. So first so they came to me and I first looked at them and they're up, they're up, they're pale as ghosts. And um, they don't look healthy, either of them. So I get their lab work back, and they both have what I would call malnourished lab work. And when I was in med school, I did, I did a rotation with um, anorexic patients, and I saw a lot of chemistries from anorexic people. They look like these anorexic patients. And these anorexic patients, you know, were skin and bones, some of them. They were in hospitals, so they were, they were you know, dying of malnourishment. And these workers... I don't think, I don't know if they, well, they, they didn't look healthy. I don't know. They didn't look quite as bad as those anorexic patients, but they were on the way and their chemistries were awful. They, I looked at them both. I had them, my hand, they were in front of me. I said, you guys are malnourished. You look like when I did the anorexic work in med school, these lab work. So he said, well, what do we do? I said, you need some fats in your diet. <laughs> I said, he go, what do you mean? I said, I said, how about eating an egg a day? That would help an organic <laughs> egg. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I, was asked to, I was asked to leave. 
couple hours later. You were asked to leave for recommending an egg. <laughs> recommending an egg today. And I don't know what happened to those two people, but holy moly, they did not look healthy. And so, wow. so um, out of my 30 years of practicing medicine, I've had a number of patients try a vegan, you know, raw vegan diet. I have one patient who, who has done okay with it out of 30 years. Every other patient at some point in a raw vegan diet, they become malnourished on their blood, on their chemistries, and they don't look healthy. And Michigan is a tough state to do it because it's hard to produce heat on a vegan diet. It's better to do it in a southern, you know, warmer environment than it is in a cold northern environment. Mm -hmm. But um, so I think you can eat healthy animal products. I think that you don't have to, but I think that um, it, it's easier to vary your diet. But look, you can eat healthy fruits and vegetables or you can eat unhealthy fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. when they're sprayed with pesticides and grown in poorly, poor soil areas and they have depleted nutrients compared to organic farming processes. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes along with the animal products as well. Yeah, agreed. And then, so grains would be something very similar. You gotta be careful with your grains and legumes. So, I mean, grains, you know, are plentiful in the US. You know, soy is the cheapest crop to grow. All the grains are pretty cheap crops to grow. So we're inundated with grains, you know. What do they feed animals to fatten them up? They feed them grains, you know, and mm -hmm. they they fattened us up as a country because we fire too many grains and refined grains. And, um, you know, the grains, the wheat products and the rye products and, you know, that are, and all the other grain products that are sprayed with um, glyphosate and, you know, our foods become contaminated with that. And when I check people for glyphosate levels who aren't feeling well, you you know, many times the levels are off the charts and you know, we got to detox from glyphosate. So again, you can have healthy grains, you can have unhealthy grains. Um, is that something you do regularly with your patients is to test them for glyphosate? I don't do it regularly. I mean, what I, what I tell them is you should eat organic food sources that's not sprayed with glyphosate and, um, you know, that's where we start. I, I don't do it regularly, but I, you know, the ones I've done it, they all have high glyphosate levels. And I usually will do it when someone's stuck and not improving and we're kind of trying to figure out what's, you know, what are the missing links to their biochemistry? What are they getting poisoned with that or poisoning in the biochemistry system that's just not working right? So is there um, a specific treatment you have for people high in glyphosate? Number one, get rid of it out of the diet and you know stop ingesting it mm -hmm. and then there are there are detox methods for glyphosate you know edta can be very helpful for facilitating glyphosate you know lymph drainage techniques saunas um epsom salt baths all this stuff helps basically stopping the intake of it allows the body to start releasing it okay we just keep dripping it back in it's just it never ends and it's water soluble um, products so i would imagine that you could fairly easily once you stop consuming it sweat yeah, so it body, out your body releases it. it your body does release it that's good as soon as you stop ingesting it but the problem is it's in so many products that you you got to pay attention you got to think about this when you're in a grocery store yeah you got to think about it when you're eating and you know, going to restaurants is tough because they're going to serve the cheapest food they can serve yeah. cheapest oils they can serve many times mm -hmm. so you know none, none of this is easy but you know um getting healthier is worth it. It's worth the effort. It's worth the energy. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, when it comes to food being medicine, we've talked a lot about like the foundations, choosing the, the right foods um, to have that foundation of health. But um, could you talk about what you've seen with people having specific health needs, um, you know, diabetes or heart disease, what you've seen in order to use changing what they eat to um, oh, recover? You know, the, the name of the disease, it matters. You know, you want a proper diagnosis and, you know, it does matter. But I think that's secondary to doing the basics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eating, I don't think it takes rocket science to realize that eating healthier food should give a healthier body. I mean, you know, the analogy I use to my patients is I don't think you're going to drive out of my parking lot and go to the gas station for 10 cents a gallon when they say they're going to put mud in there, and, but it's 10 cents a gallon. So it's so cheap. I think you'll avoid that and go put in the two dollar two fifty a gallon gas. You know, at least our gas is two fifty. You know, right now. And what is it in Washington, Bob? You live in a different world. We're up close to five dollars still in in most. Oh of dear God in heaven! I think I paid at it this year thanks to the governor. I think I paid two fifty. I just filled it up today. It was either two forty nine or two fifty nine. Um, and um, um, geez, I'm thinking of that money. Um, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. You were talking about how when you, you go to put gas in your tank oh, yeah, yeah. You're not paying 10 cents for mud, you're going to pay high quality to keep your car running. Yeah, of course. Otherwise you put the mud in there, you're going to be paying a lot of money on the repairs of the car and the same with our body. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to put in cheap, lousy food, you're going to be paying for it at some point and you're not going to feel good. I mean, um, I'm 60 years old. I play tennis three to four times a week. I have more energy. I swear I have more energy than I did when I was 20 years old, even though I've never suffered from lack of energy my whole life, but I feel better. And, um, you know, I had, I told you I had a severe case of asthma growing up, multiple medications mm -hmm. and inhalers and ER visits and things. That was even through med school and <clears throat> through my residency as well. And then once I turned to this holistic medicine, I realized, hey, I got to eat better. And I'm, I'm going to be a holistic doctor. I got to walk the walk. Um, and I clean up my diet. I don't even, I don't play tennis with an inhaler. The only time my asthma flares at me is if I get a cold, um, right now. I, otherwise I don't, I don't even know where inhalers are. I have to search for one when I need it. And I've been to the ER in three decades, you know, since I started this, um, for asthma and it is 99% gone in my life. And, um, that was, a, that's why I went to med school really. I had asthma, severe asthma. I was at the doctor all the time and I just kind of thought it was cool, you know, what he, he was helping me with. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is, but eating a lousy diet inflames the body and this inflammation drives all these illnesses, whether it's asthma in my case, whether it's heart disease in my dad's case, whether it's Alzheimer's disease or congestive heart failure, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you eat a lousy diet, it's going to be exacerbated and you're going to be more prone to you know, getting problems and, you know, cancer included in there. So I think it's, you know, people have to educate themselves. The reason I started writing my books was I got tired of talking. I didn't get tired of talking to people about hormones because it was the first book I wrote was about natural hormones. Mm. But I got tired of just giving the same lines all the time. So I would say, hey, get this book, read it. This is my thought process with it. This is the science behind it. And 
we'll talk about it next time. And you know, I basically wrote every book along those lines that, um, you know, to educate people on, you know, these ones, you know, in food and fats and things, and you know, other things like hormones and iodine and mm -hmm. things like that. And so, you know, food su should supply us with vitamins B and iodine and, and magnesium and things like that. Unrefined foods don't. They have none of it in there, and they just they got some got synthetic vitamins. And look, the fortification of food that was done, you know, around World War II and, and after um, has been a you know it's been a good thing. I mean, we don't see these severe nutritional illnesses that we used to see in this country, but you're seeing a lot of chronic illness, a lot of autoimmune disorder, and a, a lot of mess as people get older because they're lacking basic nutrients. And so, yeah. Um, and, and some of the fortification um, doesn't work at the population level. For instance, um, they've been putting folic acid, the synthetic folate, into flour products. It's mandated. You have to put it in there. And they added corn a few years ago. And about 40% of the population has some MTHFR gene mutation. They don't they can't break down folic acid. They need folate. And it, it can cause them health issues because they're, you know, they're not getting they're building up in folic and not getting folate. Anyway, so I'm not a big fan of population-based health measures, except for maybe clean water, um, you know, and sanitation. But, you know, the putting nutrients out there blanketly and you're consuming them whether you need them or not. I, and it's usually a synthetic form of it that's in there. So like you said, they have avoided some things, but other people have suffered. There's always those consequences. Um, Bob, I think you mentioned you have a relative who's a fan of Dr. Brownstein and who has a question. Did you have a question you wanted to ask? Yeah, thanks. While we're sticking to all of his materials, and I do appreciate, I saw you have new editions that you've got second editions, third editions. So it looks like you're updating based on your research and, and information. That's good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and so uh, my aunt has all of your books, and she, she asked, uh, but do, do you have any new alternatives to prescription hypothyroid medications? Is that anything um, on right now? Or, you know, on, are you on that subject? Can you answer that? What's your aunt's name? <laughs> Diane. Can tell what's her name Diane hello Diane um, so um, my first 10 years of my practice so the, w when treating my dad my dad was my first and my best patient and I put him on two things natural testosterone and natural thyroid hormone and he got better as I said earlier so from that moment on every person that I've seen a new patient has gotten a full hormonal and nutritional evaluation and Thyroid has been part of that hormonal evaluation in every single person that I've seen. Um, so the first 10 years of my practice, I was I was taught in med school, just check a TSH level, a thyroid stimulating hormone level. If that's abnormal, give them thyroid hormone. If it's normal, they don't have a thyroid problem. There's many other thyroid tests. There's T3 and T4 levels, inactive and active thyroid hormone and thyroid antibodies and reverse T3. So I do a whole thyroid panel that is much more comprehensive, a much better way to, to diagnose the health or pathology of a thyroid gland. So the first 10 years of my practice, I was putting people on thyroid hormone and they were getting better and they were reporting they were feeling better. And um, I would estimate that I had three quarters of my practice on thyroid hormone in the first 10 years of my holistic practice. And that was 
bothering me a little bit because why should three quarters of my patients have to take a thyroid hormone, natural or not, to feel good? I don't think we're designed, we need thyroid hormone just because we're getting older. So I would look at the biochemistry in the thyroid gland and what supports the, the biochemical pathways in the thyroid gland. And I would try various things like magnesium or selenium or zinc and iodine. You know, we're commonly, you know, those are in the pathways of making thyroid hormone. And nothing worked like thyroid hormone. They felt better with it. So I would try, and I, I kept coming back to iodine. And the reason I kept coming back to iodine was, number one, I live in the Gorder Belt of the United States. It's in the Great Lakes area surrounding the Great Lakes. It's Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and that four-letter state, Ohio, that we just pounded a few weeks ago for the third year in a row. Um, and, you know, they're whining about us stealing, stealing signs. We didn't steal any of their signs. They can have all our signs. We're still going to run it down their throats. But anyway. Um, the, the, um, I got disrupt, distracted from <laughs> Three weeks until the games. Jeez. Okay, you so, said you're uh, in the goiter belt and you're looking I was at iodine. Right before I came on air with you, I want you to know. <laughs> so, so we're so in the goiter belt. I, our soil is one of the most iodine deficient areas of the world. That's been known for over a hundred years. So, in 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 why three quarters of my patients need a thyroid hormone to feel well, I would try iodine. I would try little little amounts of iodine, large amounts of iodine, medium amounts of iodine. Nothing worked like thyroid hormone. So I got frustrated and, you know, I thought I was practicing, you know, doing things the correct way. And um, in one of my journals, a doctor writes a letter to the editor about an iodine loading test that he developed. And at that point in my career, there was no iodine testing, good testing available. So you would just try it, you know, there were, but I figured everyone's got to be low on iodine in Michigan. You know, our soils are super low. And, Iodine was put into salt in the 1920s from studies in Michigan and that four-letter state next to us because they found goiter, which was swelling of the thyroid here in large amounts of people. And they, it's a long, we can get into that another talk, but they found that iodine deficiency was causing that in people and in animals. Mm -hmm. And so they put varying amounts of iodine into animal food, figured out the smallest amount possible that would stop the animals from having a thyroid problems and procreating problems. And then they estimated how much humans would need, and they put the iodine in salt for us. And the goiter epidemic was really resolved with that. It was, it, was, it was a public health miracle, really, at the time. So that was that was the interest in iodine. Iodine was gone after the swelling of the thyroids went down across the country from iodized salt. So that was 1927, give or take a little bit. Um, so moved to my practice, you know, and I'm trying to first 10 years and looking at iodine. There's no testing for iodine. And then I read this article. He's got an iodine loading test. So I call him up. His name was Dr. Guy Abraham. He was in California. And he became interested in me because of where I was located. He knew about the goiter belt. And he, he, I said to him, I'm sure my patients are low in iodine, but I can't test for it. And he agreed. He's good. They got to be low. So we started testing. And lo and behold, you know, now I've tested over 8,000. I, I haven't done numbers recently. It's either eight or 9,000 between me and my partners. And 97% of tested low and over 97% low in iodine. The only ones that aren't low are the ones that have read my book or taking iodine on their own coming into the practice. Everyone else is, is low and they've been low. So started testing people. We tested a couple hundred people and I would 
fly out to California and do the do the lab work with Dr. Abraham and became a great friend of mine and a mentor. And you know, I learned more about iodine from him than anybody. Um, and I started putting my patients on iodine. And what I found was that I went from, this is your aunt's answer, but I went from three quarters of my patient population being on iodine and feeling good the first 10 years to less than a quarter now on iodine and still feeling good, but now they're all on iodine. And so what I found was the single best thing to help thyroid function was iodine. And when I learned, when I used the right form of iodine, that's what I didn't know. Dr. Abraham taught me was a combination of iodine and iodide, which is in our bodies. That's the natural form our body needs, not just iodide, D-I-D-E, the reduced form, which is what I was using. I was on and off those first 10 years. When I started using the right form of iodine, I, I described this in my iodine book that you showed earlier. When I, when I started using the right form of iodine, all of a sudden I could, I could lower the thyroid hormone level for the vast majority of people I had on thyroid. At that point in my career, the first 10 years, I, I would say an average dose of two grains or 120 milligrams of natural thyroid hormone I was using, now my average dose is um, half a grain. Or 30 milligrams, you know, it's four times, you know, fourfold lower. So, and I went from three quarters of my patients on thyroid hormone to one quart, less than a quarter now. So yeah. that and, has allowed that has allowed me to use much less thyroid hormone and to get people's thyroids healthier, as well as the thyroid concentrates in the glandular tissue, which is the breast, ovaries, uterus, pancreas, yeah. thyroid. We uh, Dr. Brownson, I I love this. I hate to interrupt you. I want to come back sometime and have you do a whole iodine show. It's that important. But we're, we're down to the last few seconds. And I want to just say a great big thank you to you to coming on the show and to share what you know, your history. You're just a gift. And your wife is amazing for supporting you on this amazing journey you've been on. So bless her, too. <laughs> and thank you, guys. And um, I'll see you soon, hopefully, at the next Children's Health Defense meeting. Oh, that would be great. If not sooner, that would be wonderful. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got the Liberty Hour. And we're going to talk about the capture of food as medicine concept by uh, the powers that shouldn't be and um, the whole medical industrial big food complex. So uh, come back. You've been listening to an informed life radio, the health hour on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV and other platforms. We'll see you back here in a bit. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. 
Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's health and their futures in Washington State.